Um, just curious, any, any, uh, any lifeguards among us? Anybody lifeguard when they were? Willard, some other people lifeguarded when you were? Okay. Save a life, John? Did you ever save a life? Not as far as you know? Okay. Never had to go in? Okay. You just kind of ignored them? Is that okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, hey, a couple things. Uh, kind of keep, keep this uh, on your screen, so to speak. The Boys and Girls Club, I think I told you this, uh, they're building a new Crestmont Club, which is over by Tri-North Middle School, over by Mills Pool, which is another city pool. Um, and this, when that one's finished, which it will be in late August, they're going to close this one for renovation. Um, it'll take a year to renovate this. They're going to totally, not going to gut it, but it's going to be like original condition. Like this will still be the gym up here and stuff. Anyway, but in the meantime, they told us already we we're welcome to meet in their new building for that year, which is right now the plan. It was interesting, the, the, the leadership team, the elder team we met a couple days ago, and we all have a, uh, I guess I'll phrase, a peaceful discomfort about moving there. Because um, it's just a, it's a different environment, different neighborhood. Um, if you know much about the Crestmont neighborhood, it, it, uh, I think it could be some opportunities God may want for us ministry-wise. But it's, we're going to be a brand new building, and uh, but that's the we feel like there's a, a peaceful discomfort of the moving forward with this. Um, but there's always discomfort when you move or change or whatever. So we're still praying about that. We're still uh, listening to see if there's other places God may want us to consider. But right now, this is where we think we're going to be headed. And it really depends on their timetable of construction. So it could be as early as late August, could be late September. We don't know yet. We're just kind of waiting on them. So another thing real quick, too, uh, go to the next slide. We've talk, we talk about at Exodus that we, uh, one of our core values is we'll practice supportive speech and actions toward all other Christ-centered churches in Bloomington. So if you've been around here at all, you know we do different things for pastors and churches in Bloomington. A couple weeks ago, go ahead and put the slide up there, we, uh, I mentioned, um, go to the next slide, uh, Jeff and Leanne Hausberger, and if you know Natalie and Brian, are they here today? Natalie, it's Natalie's parents. Um, he pastors a new, he's relatively new, pastoring a church in Little Union Baptist Church. She also goes by Kim. Anyway, we sent her, which whenever I, whenever there's a new pastor in town, or new that new to me, I haven't met them before. I usually try to have coffee with them, and then on behalf of the church, I, we send them a $50 gift card to the wife. And I always tell the wife, you don't have to take your husband with you if you don't want to go. You know? But a couple of Sundays ago, we had one, and some of you signed the card for, uh, for Leanne and um, a $50 gift card to her, which um, whenever I, uh, we get thank you notes a lot when we do these kind of things, but I think a lot of pastors and their wives are, um, what's the word I'll use? Um, surprisingly confused as to why another church in the same town would do something for that church, for them. Because that, that, that doesn't happen usually among churches. Because we, we compete. We, we shouldn't, but we do. You know what I'm saying? Anyway, she wrote a note. Thank you. No, I just want to read it. This, so this is from Leanne. She also goes by Kim in receiving the $50 gift card from Exodus Church that some of you signed. Thank you so much for your thoughtfulness. You have blessed me by praying for me and my family and letting me know that I'm not alone. As a Christian and a wife of a pastor, it's easy to feel lonely and defeated. Satan attacks and makes us feel unworthy. Thank you for showing me the love of Christ by your prayers and gift card. It's very much appreciated. Then she has a passage of scripture, 2 Corinthians 9, um, for us. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every, every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Blessings, Kim Hausberger. So I just want you to know, we, so we'll... 
you'll, we'll see more of those. I've done, whenever, like I said, whenever I meet a new pastor or somebody new in ministry, I always, uh, on behalf of church, send their wife a gift card, and they always appreciate it, and they always are somewhat confused by it. But I think it's good to confuse people at times because it makes them rethink the nature of the church. So anyway, let's pray, and then we'll uh, look into God's Word. God, we are, again, we're here today to hear from you. We're not here today uh, simply out of habit, although it is a habit. We're not here today uh, simply because that's what we think is expected of us, but we know that um, ultimately we're here because we want to experience you, and we want you, God, to experience us. And in doing so, we want to see transformation in our lives. And we ask this all in Christ's name. Amen. Um, I'll tell you a topic already today. The topic is fasting today. Um, to some degree, and I had one pastor say one time he, was, he wanted to have a big fasting campaign and his church kicked off with a big banquet. So, um, but anyway, I emailed a couple friends of mine and asked them why they fast. Let me just tell you some of the things they said, all right? So this is uh, friend number one. I'll tell you their names in a second. N nobody from this church. This person, so if the fasting is abstaining from food and or drink for some degree of time for some, in some way, some fashion. So there's not any one right way. But this person said this is why they fast. It brings us spiritually closer to God in remembrance and helps purify our souls. Um, another reason, it's about self-control. Third reason, it causes us to reflect on how fortunate we are and think of those in need. We are encouraged to help the needy. And the last reason they wrote down was kindness and compassion. The other person said, uh, I fast for certainly because it's biblical. The Old Testament talks about it. Um, this person said, I fast, but I don't think it should be a long-faced fast. I don't, we don't tell people I'm fasting. I feel awful. Um, thirdly, uh, uh, as, as a congregation, this person, their congregation, they fast and pray together for most of 24 hours once a month as a congregation. And then the last thing they write down is, People sometimes fast privately for strength, insight into problems or questions, all right? Now, what I didn't tell you about these two is this one was written to me by a Muslim. This was written to me by a Mormon. And so it gets me thinking. I mean, you think about fasting. There's not a word of religion that doesn't practice fasting. And so if the, Jesus talks about or, what the biggest question is, is there anything unique about fasting as a Christian? Or are we just doing what everybody else does? All right, so like for example, um, ancient Greece, um, Aristotle fasted, uh, Pythagoras, Pythagorean theorem, he would not allow a student to advance in his school without purifying themselves first by fasting. Plato fasted for greater physical and mental efficiency. Uh, Buddhist monks and nuns often fast from noon till the rest of the day every day. That's just their habit. And they do it because they, they believe it aids meditation and health. Um, one of the things I did not mention in the, in the email from the Muslim friend of mine is, because that would give it away, the first reason to fast is it's one of the five pillars in Islam. It's commanded by God to fast during Ramadan. This is the month of Ramadan, uh, so there, if you drive by the uh, Islamic center on whatever street that is, Atwater, you'll see these canopies outside. That's where the men gather to eat at sunset, because they fast from sunrise to sunset. Incidentally, this particular person told me too, they're always a little bit bummed when <coughs> Ramadan occurs during the summer because the days are longer. They fast from sunrise to sunset, so, and Ramadan kind of moves through the, our year, so I'm sure they're grateful when Ramadan falls in December, short days. So, um, 
But they fast because it's one of the commandments. They, they, it's, it's, it's decreed by God. They have to fast during Ramadan. Every, if you're a decent Muslim, all you fast. And, I'm, and I didn't choose fasting because it's Ramadan. It just happened to come up, and I kind of made the connection. So um, Mormons, like I mentioned, a friend of mine who's Mormon, they fast once a month. They call it Fast Sunday. Uh, they fast for two meals, and they give the money from those meals to the church to help people in need. So they call it a fast offering. And then Hindus fast primarily to get close to whatever God they're worshiping. All right, So everybody's, to some degree, spiritual people fast. The Bible talks about fasting. David fasted once in the Old Testament when his child was sick. Uh, the people fasted in the time of Nehemiah when they were confessing sins to God. And you might know that Jesus fasted in the wilderness. Jesus talks about fasting. But again, the bigger question I'm asking is, okay, um, not just what is fasting and why do we practice it, but is there some, anything unique about it from a Christian perspective? Otherwise, what, why are we doing it? Um, and we're going to talk about that today. So, so we're doing a series called Change. Uh, go to the next. Um, spiritual habits that enable us to become the life-giving people God knows we can be. So we talked a couple weeks ago about the habit of remembering and remembering times in your life where you saw the work of God definitively in your life as a stone of remembrance, as a place to remember, yes, God's faithful, so I know he'll be faithful in whatever I face in the future. We talked about remembering. Last week we talked about uh, um, the habit of, I just called the habit of the Bible, opening your Bible. Challenge people to, if you don't have a habit of reading your Bible on a regular basis, just challenge you, and I still will challenge you, to find some kind of rhythm, whether it's reading through the Gospel of John, I think I mentioned last week reading through Psalm 119, which is a lot of verses, but it's all about the, the, how the, the psalmist loves God's word. So those are habits, and again, we don't, like I said before, we don't do those habits to appease God. We do it because it puts us in a place, as you would if you went to a surgeon or a dentist, it puts you in a place where someone else can do work on you to change the nature of who you are. So we want to see our souls increase in capacity. We want to have increased capacity to hear and respond to God. And there's a partnership that we do things that put us in a place where God can have our attention. So again, it's not, it's not a legalistic thing. It's not a, uh, you get extra points for certain things, and therefore God gives you more favor or whatever. So, um, so the next slide so what we've talked about is because we want to change because we want to be the kind of people. So the point of change is not just change. The, we want to be the kind of people that do these things naturally. These are some of the things Jesus commanded we should do. And we often think about commandments as the Old Testament, and it kind of feels kind of, in our heads, feels kind of dry and dusty. But Jesus, primarily in the Sermon on the Mount, gave us these commandments to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us, don't judge others, forgive others, repent, heal the sick, tithe. Don't be afraid, don't worry, be reconciled when there's conflict, give to those in need, invite the poor, crippled, lame, and blind, which is engage that part of society, and love one another. So those are things that Jesus said we should do, but he doesn't say it in a sense of just change your behavior and work hard on that and grit your teeth and love your enemies. What he's saying is you can become the kind of people who naturally do those things, naturally and joyfully forgive your enemies. That's hard. Naturally and joyfully not judge others. I've had some conversations with some here at the church where we 
We'll talk about just walking down the street and you find yourself un, unintentionally, but you find yourself criticizing that person's shoes or that person's hairstyle or their weight or lack thereof. And it's like we, we just consistently kind of go to those things. But how do you become, how does that change in your personality? And you might even think about change in your marriage and your family. And it's like, how does change happen? So we become life-giving people. So a couple of things before we talk about fasting. I always have a couple uh, just, uh, so we're talking about fasting today. Go to the next slide then. One question I'll just throw out is, why doesn't God just fix us? I mean, if he wants, if he wants Levi to be forgiving and generous and, and uh, kind and love his enemies and love people that hate him, and why doesn't God just put Levi in some kind of a spiritual microwave and, sh- and then he's, and he's, he's perfect? I mean, I was going to use a Superman illustration of the phone booth, but half of you don't know what a phone booth is anymore. The transfer, why doesn't he do that? I mean, if I'm a Christian, why can't God... Why can't I just say, okay, God, in the next 24 hours, will you please make me incredibly generous, incredibly forgiving, you know? Why doesn't he do that? He, does he not, is he like the power? Or why can't he just wave his wand over Levi and say, whoop, Levi's perfect now? Well, the answer is because Jesus is, God is way more concerned about our character than he is our behavior. All right? He's way more concerned about our character. He's given us freedom of will. He's way more concerned about the development and capacity of our character than us just behaving right. And if your understanding of Christianity is all about right behavior, you don't get the Christianity that Jesus taught. So it's the wrong Christianity. It's something else. But Jesus is about changing our characters. So we naturally do these things. We're not doing them because we're forced to be. We're not like robots who he just pressed the right buttons and reprogrammed us. All right? Second thing, kind of attitude-wise, and this maybe it's bigger for some of you than even you think, because I know it's bigger in my life than I think. Because I was rereading a journal entry of mine recently where I, where I was fasting. And I actually wrote down um, that the, here's what I said, but the conflict really gets ugly when my stomach begins to sarcastically whisper back at me, nothing will change anyway because you fast. The sense of, well, okay, why am I, why do I come to church on Sunday? Why am I supposed to read my Bible? Why do I fast? Why am I supposed to pray? Why do I do any of these things if I don't really feel like anything's going to change? I know from talking to some of you, and I know from my own experience, my own life, sometimes you think, that's never going to change inside of me. I've tried out different things. I've been open to, or my marriage is never going to change. Or the way I respond to someone else's accusation, that's just not going to change. I'm always going to be the defensive jerk that I don't like. And, and, and we, you get stuck in these modes where hope seems really, really distant. Like, well, why? And it's kind of this, what I call, why bother? Why bother? I mean, I, I got my ticket to heaven. Jesus is in my heart. I think I got what I need. And I, I don't see other things changing in the way that I think it's supposed to. So why bother? I mean, I talked to somebody a few weeks ago, a few months ago, not, uh, uh, who said they stopped going to church in their 20s because of that reason. They felt like, the, you know, the, the, there are all these promises. That God's supposed to change you and do this and do this, and if you, if you do A, B, and C, then you'll be this kind of person. And he just said it wasn't happening in my life, so I stopped going. And I think we would all look at that person or talk to that person and say, we can understand that. But the hope of the gospel always is from the book of Philippians where Paul says, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. 
that Jesus is always finishing what he started in you. And I'm saying that for myself, because I need to be reminded of that, because I think if I, if I hit a stopping point where all of a sudden I'm just off of God's screen and I'm stuck. No, the, the promise of the Bible, Philippians, is he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. He's not going to stop. So whatever you think is stuck in your life, in your marriage, in your family, and in your character, that you just feel like, hey, that's never going to change. That's never going to change as a lie. It can change, and God is still working, and he can still work. His timetable is way different than yours and mine. But don't ever give in to uh, the hopelessness, because the promise is he will. And again, I'm, I'm saying that because right now there's some things I'm thinking through in, in life in general that I kind of feel like that really hasn't changed. But I have to keep reminding myself, no, but the promise of God is that will change. As long as I'm cooperating with God and listening and trying to understand, it will change. So anyway, let's get to fasting here. Well, I'm sure none of you are eager to get to fasting, but let's talk about it anyway. All right? First thing is this. Go to the next slide. Three points. One is Jesus expects you to fast. And our reaction to that might be, hold on, I've got to get this silly cape. I keep pulling off my ear here. Jesus expects you to fast. And you might think, oh, man. Um, but he said two different cases. In Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus is talking about he's, it's part of his teaching, even around the good... Uh, the, Sermon on the Mount, he talks about how the Pharisees fast, and the Pharisees were the religious elite. Um, more often than not, Jesus rebuked them for their arrogance and religious pride, because when they would fast, they wanted to make sure everybody knew they were fasting. They actually would, you know, kind of have these long-drawn faces or the clothes they would wear. They would let people know, I'm being a spiritual person. But Jesus says, no, when you fast, basically, don't show your cards to anybody. Dress like you would normally dress. Smile like you would normally smile. So he didn't say if you fast. He said when you fast. So you get the sense that Jesus was, ex that was an expected part of what he was saying. And again, I'm not, this is not a legalistic talk, but there's times where fasting can be helpful in your life. It's not like an all-the-time thing. But then also in Matthew chapter 9, John the Baptist's disciples came to Jesus and said, Jesus, why aren't your disciples fasting? Because you know, we're, we're in the John the Baptist school over here, and he has his fast. And often good Jews would fast twice a week. It was like Mondays and Thursdays. If you were a good Jew, you would fast twice a week. And Jesus said, no, there's no reason to fast when the bridegroom is with you. And he's talking about himself because he's right there. But when he leaves, then there's a time of mourning, and then you will fast. So then you will fast kind of implies there was an expectation there. Not a legalistic demand, but an expectation that we, they didn't fast when he was around. So fasting must have some connection with how we connect back with Jesus when he's not around, like through the Holy Spirit. So I'm just saying that up front to get you thinking about it. But there is an expectation. Um, and I don't, you know, I, I, it's, been a, it's been months since I've fasted. And I used to fast when I was younger. I'd fast like once a week. For a period of time, for a short period of time, maybe during Lent or maybe for certain needs. But I'm not, I'm not, I'm not up here saying that I, I'm master faster. I didn't mean to rhyme that, but I didn't know how to say that. I was like, what? Okay, whatever. Um, but there is an expectation, and there's an expectation for a reason. There's a reason. Okay, next, next point. I'll go to the next slide. When you fast, you experience freedom from I want it now. All right? Um, I was fasting one time when I was working in another church. 
here in town, Evangelical Community Church. And it was just, a, it was a habit for a while that I would fast. I would eat dinner on Monday nights and then not eat again until dinner on Tuesday night. So I sometimes would drink coffee, though, Tuesday morning, though, because otherwise I'd get a headache and that would make me a really bad mood. But anyway, maybe coffee doesn't count. I don't know. They didn't have coffee in the Bible, so maybe Jesus doesn't care. Um, but I remember, so, and, and, and when you fast, I find at least, all kinds of thoughts start spinning in your head like, why are you doing this? This is a waste of time. You're hungry, eat it. You're hungry, eat it. I mean, again, this, not, this isn't going to change anything. So it was a Tuesday, and I remember I was in my office at the church, and, and I go out in the hallway, and lo and behold, that day the women's ministry had planned a women's potluck, and the tables were all in the hallway right outside my office, full of food. And I remember I actually whispered out loud, God, that's not fair. That is not fair. And I remember, th- I-, I was literally, and it was because, you know what, my body was saying, I'm hungry, feed me. I-, I had been without food for maybe 10 hours. But my body was kind of, ah, you know, yelling at me. And I would go out in the hallway, and, well, there's those cookies that Nellie makes, and there's that. And I'd go back in my office, and, and I, th- I, re- I remember actually finally giving in, and I ate some dessert, and it was awful. Not because the dessert was awful, because I thought, why, why did I let my body take control of me? You know, in, in the book of Philippians, Paul talks about people that have let their God be their stomachs. And this is not about dieting or weight loss, because I tell, I tell people, who, men who struggle with uh, sexual lust, fasting is a good habit, because it teaches you to tell your body, you are not the boss of me. Because the physical urge... For sexual immorality is no, it's different, but it's a similar kind of thing. Is the physical urge of saying, I want food, feed me. So you're training yourself to say no when your body says yes. Or when your body says, you need to come right back at that person with a real, real sharp word in the argument. Because everything in your body and the adrenaline says, go back at them. Well, fasting is your way of training yourself to restrain from your body being in control. So, uh, there's, there's, it's a really good habit in that way. Just uh, my own experience, it's a really good habit for me to learn to tell my body, no, you're not the boss of me. All right, third thing though, um, and this I think is the point where we start talking about how I think fasting in the Christian sense sets, is set apart from fasting in the ancient Greek sense or the Muslim sense or the Mormon sense. Hindu sense, Buddhist sense, um, because it, Jesus is unique in this sense. But when you fast, you experience increased awareness to God's voice. When Jesus was tempted in the wilderness, and, and Satan said to him, why don't you just turn these stones into bread? You're hungry, man. What's the big deal? Turn the stones into bread. You're, you, have, you have power. And Jesus' response says, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So he's, he's putting this contrast of bread versus the words that come from God. And the sense I get from that and the sense you get from other passages talk about fasting is there's something about fasting that gives you an increased clarity to hear God. Not like exactly how you want it or what needs to be said. Because again, Christianity is, is quite unique in the belief that the Holy Spirit, that Jesus is still with us, like we read at the start of the service, 
and can communicate with us and we with him. I remember one, one time I was, I was fasting. I was at a state park called Starved Rock State Park up by Chicago. I may have been there before, Starved Rock State Park. And um, I'm, I'm laughing because I just, it was just, I, I was kind of funny with myself. So I'm, I'm at this one uh, overlook part, and you look over into the hills of Illinois or whatever, and there was a couple in front of me that would not get out of the way of the viewing area. And they just wouldn't. And, um, and I'm kind of tapping my foot emotionally and getting really, really, really irritated because I couldn't get the best view. I mean, irrational irritation, all right? And I'm getting irritated, irritated, really irritated, almost to the point where I was going to say something to them. And I felt at that moment, realizing, oh, I'm just so irritated. And I thought, well, I'm irritated because I'm hungry. And I felt at that moment the Spirit of God say to me, no, you're irritated because there's something irritable in your soul, and, you've, and food covers up that need. But when you take food away, some things in your soul are laid bare. And it was like, oh, I get it, I get it. So my irritability, which we, it's easy when you're hungry. Well, I'm irritable because I'm hungry. Well, maybe you're irritable because you use food to cover up irritability or what other issues that God needs to expose. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's so, so sometimes when I fast, well, not sometimes, when I fast, I always try to, I, I never think any thought I have is random on those days. I don't always assume that it's from God. But I never, when I'm, I'm trying to pay attention to what's going on, and not only in my body with being hungry, but I'm trying to pay attention to what's going on in my soul, and I'm realizing, okay, um, I've got to pay attention to that because I didn't think that was a big deal, but for some reason when I was fasting on a certain day, I was noticing how irritable I was the entire day, and I thought maybe I'm more irritable with things than I thought so, and I've learned how to kind of pretend. But I want that to change, God. I don't want to be an irritable person. I don't want to be an impatient person. I don't want to be unkind because somebody's standing in my way of seeing the views of Southern Illinois. I, I don't want to be that person. So it's interesting. Uh, I do believe when you fast, you experience increased awareness to God's voice. One time my wife and I decided to fast to different degrees during, for a whole week. I mean, it wasn't, we didn't go without food, but sometimes when you fast, you decide, I'm going to just do liquids only. Sometimes I fast and I'll do... Uh, you know, water and, and V8. And it's incredible how you look forward to V8 when you're hunting eating. And it's like, I, I don't like V8. I had one person say, oh, I do steak in a blender. I call that liquid. I was like, that's, not, that's cheating. That's not fasting. That's cheating. But uh, so, you know, I, often when, I'll f when I have fasted, water, V8, and I'll often drink uh, like a fruit juice just as something to, because it kind of fools your stomach for a little bit. Sometimes I'll go just water. But, but there was a week where my wife and I, this is when we were deciding some things about whether God was telling us to start this church, which would have been, you know, 15 years ago. And we decided during that week, to varying degrees, but based on our own schedule, what we're doing, to fast and ask, and ask God, do you want us to start this church? Because up to that point, I thought it was pretty clear, but I wasn't sure. Well, and again, you're, we, don't, we don't fast to kind of earn points with God and then cash them in. But during that week, it was incredible with some of the things that happened with unexpected phone calls from people who then said, hey, we want you to, we're going to help you start this church. As a matter of fact, we will give you this much money if you do it. And they weren't phone calls we had solicited that week. Now, would those phone calls have not happened had we not been fasting? I don't know. I don't know. 
I just wonder if we were open, if we were, we were an openness to God that maybe we wouldn't have had otherwise. I'm not saying that my not eating caused that person not to die. I don't know. But it was, it was unexplainable by the end of the week. We knew beyond a shadow of a doubt, yes, God's saying yes to this. Whereas at the start of the week, we're like, we don't really know. We're not sure. So sometimes when you're making a big decision, fasting's good. Again, not, it's not because you're trying to prove to God how devoted you are, therefore he should give you what you want. But you're, what you're saying is, I, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I can to remove any barriers from hearing you clearly this week, God. And we should always want to hear God, but he doesn't want us to fast all the time. But I want to remove barriers, God. What, am I, what do I need to hear this week for this decision? So this is where I, I do believe that fasting... From a Jesus point of view, there's something unique about it. Because other, other world religions would agree, yes, fasting is about self-mastery. Yes, fasting is about meditation. But when we meditate or listen, we believe that the Spirit of God speaks to us. God's always speaking. We believe the Holy Spirit speaks to us. He shows us things. He exposes things in us. Often fasting in the Bible is because God wants to expose things to you that need to be changed which is his grace and mercy to show you, deal with this issue. So um, next slide, and then we'll, this is toward the end. Um, in Isaiah 58, I'm going to read parts of this, because this is where God is talking about, uh, it, it talks about fasting. And in this case, people were fasting for the wrong reason. Again, it's, think about people that were trying, they were trying really hard to be religious. But I'm just going to read part of this. These, this, I like this because I like, it's, one, it's set in like a conversation between the people and God. And I like how this comes across. Um, the people say to God, we have, and I might add a little bit of my own in, intonation and whining voices because I think they were whining. Um, we have fasted before you, they say. Why aren't you impressed? So they're saying to God, well, I fasted. Why aren't you impressed? Give me what I want. We've been very hard on ourselves and you don't even notice it. And then God says in response, I will tell you why, I respond. It's because you are fasting to please yourselves. Because even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. What good is fasting when you keep on fighting and quarreling with each other? This kind of fasting will never get you anywhere with me. So if you, ever, if you fast ever and just do it for religious points, that's what God's saying is, if you're still doing the things that you need to be stopping doing or change your behavior, that... Your fast is a waste of your time. Even while you fast, you keep oppressing your workers. Uh, this kind of fasting will never get you anywhere. You humble yourselves by going through motions of penance, bowing your heads like reeds bending in the wind. You dress in burlap. You cover up yourselves with ashes. Is this what you call fasting? Do you think this will really please the Lord? And then God says, no, this is the kind of fasting I want. And this, what he's saying is these are the results of the kind of person you'll be when you open yourself up to the voice of God through fasting or whatever. He says, free those who are wrongly imprisoned, lighten the burden of those who work for you, let the oppressed go free, remove the chains that bind you, bind people, share your food with the hungry and give shelter to the homeless, give clothes to those who need them, and do not hide from relatives who need your help. That line always kind of strikes me as funny. Don't hide, I mean, uh, it's Aunt Sally calling, I'm not gonna answer, because she needs something from me. Maybe you have an Aunt Sally and that's your issue. I don't know. Do not hide from relatives who need your help. Then your salvation will come like the dawn and your wounds will quickly heal. 
Your godliness will lead you forward, and the glory of the Lord will protect you from behind. Then when you call, I, the Lord, will answer, yes, I am here, I will quickly reply. Remove the heavy yoke of impression. Stop pointing your finger and spreading vicious rumors. Feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine from the darkness, and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. The Lord will guide you continually, giving you water when you're dry and restoring your strength. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a never-flowing spring, a last line. Some of you will rebuild the deserted ruins of your cities. Then it will be known as a rebuilder of walls and a restorer of homes. So the sense that he's saying is, if, and this is not just from fasting, but if you open yourself up to the way God wants to change you, whether it's fasting or reading the Bible or praying or other disciplines or habits we'll talk about, then you will be the person that God will use to change the world around you. But if you're going to go off all, all these motions and you're still a jerk to people you work with or work for you, you're still a jerk to your husband or wife, you still do these things, you're still kind of, uh, you're greedy or whatever, then God says, I don't care. But the point of these habits, any of these spiritual habits, is to change. And to change, change the world. And I don't mean that overly, I'm not be overly dramatic with that. And I was just telling the elder team the, the other day, I, I never want to stop believing the bar for what God can do is from the book of Acts. When they changed the world, they changed the world because the supernatural power of God to bring forgiveness to others, generosity, and healing. And I never want to say, I never want to lower that bar for me, for you, for any of us. Because if we lower that bar, then Christianity simply becomes a religion of duty and obligation and a little bit of joy here and there. Instead of realizing, no, this is what we want. We want to see what God can do through ordinary people who don't think we have much to offer and we don't think we have the skills to change the world. But the book of Acts tells us, no, when people totally give themselves over to the Holy Spirit, change happens in a dramatic way and the love of God and the power of God becomes the primary force that drives the world. So uh, don't ever get, and don't give up on the change in your life. Don't give up if you're, you, you, you might be hopeless about something in your life. Don't give up. Don't give up and don't assume that, okay, I'll just kind of, I'm going to settle. Don't settle. Don't settle. Don't settle for anything less than what God's already said. So let's pray. Jesus, I, um, I pray for all of us today. And again, I include myself in that. God, we never want to settle for just religion. And we never want to settle for, uh, I guess what I'll call the, the simple rewards of being a Christian. Because we want, we want completely what you want. We want to see supernatural, powerful change in our lives. We want to be irrationally generous, irrationally forgiving. We want to be the kind of people that love our enemies in a way that baffles them. We want to be the kind of people that look out for ways to bring wholeness and health and healing to the lame and the crippled and the blind. Um, we want to be those kind of people. So whatever you ask us to do to prepare us for that, whether it's you know, reading the Bible or praying or fasting, or however you, God, you, you want us to be open to that kind of change, would you lead us to that? And um, 
We ask this all in your name. Amen. Hey, I, I meant to mention this, and I'll mention this. I'll just challenge you. If you've never fasted before, uh, even over the next two or three weeks, just pick one day of the week, Tuesday, Wednesday. Maybe you just want to fast a meal. And don't expect any super mystical thing to happening while you're sitting at your office desk without food. But you never know. Fast a meal or fast two meals or fast 24 hours. And maybe do that for two or three weeks in a row. Pick that same day of the week. Just try it. See what God says to you. See what you learn about yourself. See what God shows you. Um, because there's some reason why, we're, why it's talked about in Scripture. There must be some change reason. And there is a change reason. So I'm just going to challenge you. Maybe that's... Um, don't pick a fast day when you know there's going to be a potluck next door, though. Bad idea. So uh, we do every Sunday we take uh, communion. And Jesus, when he was... The night before he was betrayed, the night he was betrayed, he said to the disciples, this is my body, this is my blood shed and given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Every time you eat this, remember me. Every time you eat this, remember me. And I go back to thinking about what even Jesus said when he was tempted by the devil. You don't, we don't live by bread alone, but we live by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So in a sense, when you take communion, what you're doing symbolically and even somewhat, I'd say mystically, you're saying, you're expressing your intention, your awareness, your desire, I want the words of God in me. I want to be here. I want the bread of life in me. I'm not going to be satisfied with just bread and meat and whatever else I eat, but I, I want this in me. I want this more than I want food. So, um, so when Jesus says that, when he says, do this, remember, those are the kind of things we remember that, that don't live by bread alone, but we live what sustains us more than anything else is the speaking voice of God to us, to us ordinary people. So here's how we do it at Exodus.